We have two sessions left worth of material, and we're all going to do it in one. Okay. So just like Todd said in the last class, we're going to talk about it, but there's not enough time to, so we've got to go on. Anyway, um, so a lot of what I do for apologetics has to do with being immersed in the culture, but not overtaken by the culture. So that's why I have videos and books and crazy quotes and things like that. And uh, one quote, kind of going back a little bit to about um, non-essentials and what, what's going on, um, uh, there's, there's a band called Linkin Park, and if, like, you listen to the lyrics, some of the things that comes to my mind listening to the lyrics of Linkin Park is, I think these people are in church or used to be in church. I know one of the guys is a Christian, but there's something in the lyrics that talks about truth and enlightenment and all this kind of stuff, so, like, I'll read you some of this, um, the lessons that you taught me I learned were never true. Now I find myself in question. I want to run away, never say goodbye. I want to know the truth instead of wonder why. I want to know the answers, no more lies. I want to shut the door and uh, open up my mind. I'm going to run away. And in those lyrics, I kind of see the idea of this is what happens when somebody is within a cultic persuasion they're, they're being lied to over and over again. And then they're, like another part of this song and another song as well by Lincoln Park, it says, I'm guilty by association and you keep pointing your finger at me and all this kind of stuff. And we're going to go in today in uh, what is heresy. And to begin with what's heresy, primarily all the other sessions that we've done, we talked about orthodoxy. What is essential? What is foundational? What is the gospel? Because that's what we should be about. So heresy is other than the truth, other than the gospel. And there's a really cool book called Orthodoxy versus Heresy by Robert Bowman. It's out of print, so if you can find it and used or whatever or online, I highly recommend it. Or, let's see, oh, here's the other one. Heresies and Orthodoxy in the History of the Church by Harold O.J. Brown. This is like church history, but according to teachings. And it goes from Christ's time to pretty much our time. And it's just really excellent. It talks about, you know, who stood up for what and who stood against what. And you just get a blow-by-blow -blow description. And it's like a real big head book, so it's not something you read all the way through. Because it hurts my head. Uh, let's see. Um, so, again, going back to orthodoxy. Orthodoxy has to do with the gospel. And one of the things, uh, hopefully, I've emphasized enough in this class is, do you know what the gospel is according to scripture? And like what we read uh, last week about one of the earliest creeds in Timothy, where it has it, at least in my Bible, it has it in quotes. So we'll get to Timothy. And we'll see, uh, again, this creed that succinctly says, God sent Jesus, the Father sent Jesus, he died, he rose from the dead, and that's how you have salvation. Believe on him. So however you want to compress it or enlarge it, there's the gospel. Or basically John 3.16, For God so loved the world, He sent the Son, begotten of the Holy Spirit, so that none should perish, should we have eternal life. Okay. Oh, gosh, let's see. We're going to look at some scriptures about uh, the heresies and what they can do. So, get your Bibles ready. And then, uh, one of the things I did... No, we'll, we'll get to that. I'm starting to sound like Todd more and more. 
Uh, let's go to Second Corinthians 11. And we're going to read some big chunks of scripture, but not hopefully too big that we drown. I'll, I'll read the first one here. Second Corinthians 11, verses 3 through 8, uh, in my Bible, American Standard. But I am afraid, lest as the serpent deceive Eve by the craftiness, your mind should be led astray from the simplicity and the purity of devotion to Christ. For if one come and preaches another Jesus... Whom we have not preached, or you receive a different spirit, spirit, which ye have not received, or a different gospel, which you have not accepted, uh, you bear this uh, beautifully. For I, am con- I consider myself uh, not in the least inferior to the most eminent apostles, but even if I unskilled in speech, yet I am not so in knowledge. In fact, in every way we have made this evident to you in all things." And, and so one of the things that Paul is talking about here, he goes, look, keep your faith simple. Keep your faith in the purity of Christ. And there's other people coming with another gospel, another Jesus. And so this, to the Corinthian church, is not exclusive to the Corinthian church. We see that happening in other churches in the, in the New Testament, but also in the Old Testament with false prophets. And one of the things that, hopefully, if you did the homework, you read Jude 3, and you read Matthew 23, and Jeremiah 23. And in reading those, you saw this stark outline of how God views false teachers and false leaders and false prophets. And uh, you read all of these things, and you'll find out that uh, God is not very happy. But also, one of the things that happens over and over again is he says, don't throw away the truth because you've been lied to. So like in Jeremiah 23, he says, all oh, the false prophets, they, they steal visions from one another that I didn't give them. And then at the end of it, it says, but don't despise prophecy. Don't forget that prophecy is true and that you should test it. Or in uh, Matthew 23, one of the most astounding verses in there that I, 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 can, I wish somebody would put it on film much better than I've seen it done, but here Jesus is like almost foaming at the mouth, warning the Pharisees, you hypocrites, you teachers of law. I mean, there's big exclamation points there and everything and just big letters, you know. And then he gives the woes, warnings. You know, he's, he's like, this is, this is, I'm warning you. You need to stop what you're doing. And one of the warnings that he gives is you go over land and sea to make one single convert and you make them twice the son of hell as you are. <laughs> Ooh, Jesus said the H word, <laughs> you know, and you read these seven woes that are in there and you're just like, whoa, you know, how? I mean, it's kind of like what Todd said about Mother Teresa yelling at Bill Clinton. Here's Jesus who's comforting the afflicted, but now he's afflicting the comfortable in, in their garbage that they're in because they made themselves to be God rather than God to be God. Okay, so we're going to go look at some more scriptures. A classic one, Galatians. Uh, six verses. Uh, Galatians one, verse six through ten. Who would like to read that for me? Thank you. I'm astonished that you were so quick, so quickly deserted 
we have already said. So now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. And am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? Or am I trying to please men? If I was still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of God. Cool. Now, there it gives you an apologetic moment. It says, you're not a servant of Christ if you don't defend the true gospel and you don't oppose other gospels that are coming in in the name of the gospel. And there's a very strong word where it says condemned or uh, damned. It's where the Catholic Church has the, the phrase anathema, let them be accursed. And this is it's the strongest word possible to say, you are damned to hell if you believe another gospel other than what we preach to you. I mean, that's a scary thing. And so, like, you know, uh, Randalea asked me a question because she went to visit a church, and she asked me if the people in that church are saved. Well, I don't know. I'd have to, you know, kind of walk through and test fruit and test their foundation. But if they have another gospel, Scripture is telling us what is their condition. It's not us deciding their condition. It's Scripture deciding their condition. Okay, so, and, and that's the hard way of saying that, you know, there, there there's some really tough things that have to be done. The next set of scripture we want to look at is 1 Timothy uh, chapter 4. I'm going to try and do this in order so you don't have to go backwards and for, forwards so much. 1 Timothy 4. And a really good apologetic tool is knowing the books of the Bible in order. If you haven't discovered that. This one I'll read. Uh, but the Spirit explicitly, explicitly, explicitly says that in the latter times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. By means of the hypocrisy uh, of liars... Seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. Men who forbid marriage and abdicate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude. For it is uh, sanctified by means of the word of God and prayer. So it says here that in the last days, doctrines of demons, that's really scary. And today we'll see some doctrines of demons. And we'll see deceitful spirits. Now, I'm not into big, you know, you know, oh, there's a spirit of this and spirit of that anywhere. Because if anything, I've learned that lesson really good. But here it explicitly says there are deceitful spirits. And what are they deceiving about? The gospel. They're saying, oh, this is the gospel. This is the way to be saved. This is a better way to be saved. So different things like that. We're going to go on to Second Timothy Chapter 3. Who's got the good lungs to read a whole chapter? Okay, Brandalea. Chapter 3, 2 Timothy. Oh, bef uh, sorry, excuse me. Uh, just before uh, the 1 Timothy 4, 1, 5, the, first, the three verses previous to that, that's the creed told by Paul. Okay, go ahead.
And the emphasis I want to put on, we, we, we see this great view and description of people who are, are going away from the faith and turning other people away from the faith. But two verses I really want to focus on is verse 5 of Second uh, Corinthians 3 and verse 13. Can somebody tell me, they, they hold a form of godliness, though they have denied its power. Avoid such men as these. What is the power they're denying, and what's a verse that shows what the power is that they're denying? I keep Romans. Right. So they deny the gospel because it's the only power. Now they appear to look godly. You know, they they dress up really fine, but all they're doing is devouring households. And so the power they deny is the gospel. They don't believe the gospel. And then going down to verse uh, 13, but these evil men and impostors will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and continuing to be deceived. I mean, that's really scary. But yet the Bible's telling us, you know, stay away from these people. Don't don't let them in, in, intrude and get in and take over. And that's basically what's happened. An example of that is uh, a church down in Fremont. They had this lady who came to teach and she was teaching a prophecy class well basically you weren't allowed to bring your Bible to class and you had to bring your personal prophecy notebook and it's like people have a bad sense of history because that's what happened to the vineyard in Anaheim with the Kansas City prophets in 1988 and so this lady came in that's what she did and one of my friends uh, some of you know her Pam stopped going to that class because that was just too weird and uh, Next thing you know, she leads a coup to take over the pastor and has him thrown out, and they have a big church split. But it all because she finally infiltrated through that Bible study class and all the self-prophecies that it just undermined the authority of the pastor in that church. Okay. So they go from bad to worse. 
and, and then that church became a fiasco in itself. Okay. Uh, next scripture we want to read is First John four. And verses 1 through 6. Somebody do that for me. Renata's going to do that. Thank you. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. We are from God and whoever knows God listens to us, but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. Okay, so there's a spirit of falsehood, there's a spirit of error, and there's a spirit of truth, and there's a spirit of antichrist. But with all these spirits, what is it, the scripture, what is John, the beloved apostle, asking us to do with these spirits? Test them. So now here's a classic question. One of the things I do when, when I've encountered somebody who definitely, I think, has a deceiving spirit, a false spirit, a spirit of error, I say, well... Do you think it's important to test the spirits? How, and, you know, because I was, it was kind of funny. I was at a barbecue somewhere, and I had just been to this, uh, uh, you can come see how bad this is, Healing, Healing Miracles, Signs, and Wonders Today 101, and this book shows you how to raise the dead and how to cast out the spirit of Python and a whole bunch of other things. This is where the angel feathers fell and stuff. And I had just been to this, and somebody comes in, and they heard my conversation and they go, oh, I went to a really great and wonderful thing, and they were talking about this. And I go, well, okay, now it becomes important. So, well, how do you approach something like that? Because somebody's going to come in and go, oh, it's really great, it's really wonderful. And then here you are, you know, the ER with the black cloud, and it's just raining, and you just become the doomsday. You become the wet blanket all the time. And so one of the things that I think is necessary when somebody has a strong, good opinion about something that's bad, and we know that from Scripture, is that I say, well, how did you discern the spirit of this to be of God? You know? Well, they don't deny Jesus Christ. Well, is it the Jesus Christ of the Bible? So it goes back to all the essentials we were talking about. How do they view the church? How do they view God? You know? Are they yelling and screaming at people and saying, God's going to kill you if you don't come right now and release your sin? You know? And contrary to that, Scripture says, and I think it's Corinthians. Somebody will requote me if it's not. It's your kindness that leads us to repentance, Lord. You know? And, and we should... Is it Romans? Okay. Somebody's going to check for me. But it's your kindness that leads us to repentance. I mean, sometimes if we just have a few verses in our head about the character of God, and somebody comes up with this drastic change to the gospel, that drastic change to who God's character is, then we will see that that is a spirit of error. That's a, a spirit of Antichrist. Okay. Uh, Romans 2 4. There you go. <laughs> so now, 
we've, we've read some things about heresy and orthodoxy. Uh, and last week I gave out these. The Spirit of Error and Truth, which has uh, basic essential doctrine of the Christian faith and truth, and then different churches that are on there. Now, one church that's on here, I believe, is the Worldwide Church of God by Herbert W. Armstrong. And this is one church which has actually changed from heresy to orthodoxy. So it's almost like Jehovah's Witness becoming orthodox, and now Christians have to deal with that fact. But because of that, there's people in there who still want the old faith, resistant, and they splintered off into various versions of the Worldwide Church of God. And like uh, at a Bible study, uh, Renata was there. We had this girl sit down, and she talked about the God family, you know, and that it was necessary to do Sabbath, and it was necessary to um, do a whole bunch of other things in order to be Christian. But she was having a hard time when I said Jesus Christ was God and immediately started talking about the God family because Jesus is a son of God, and you're a son of God, and you're a daughter of God, and we're all in the God family. So... Anyway, but she was part of a splinter group from the Worldwide Church of God. And it didn't have that name anymore. It was like something completely different. Uh, and, and sometimes cults change their names in order to, re, you know, get off of the, the, the baggage that's already been connected to them. An example is the Reformed Church of Latter-day Saints, which is a group that broke off from uh, early LS, LSD, LDS. <laughs> that are in Missouri, um, what is it, Temple? They believe the Temple is going to be in Missouri where they originally were at and all this kind of thing. What's that? The Temple. The Reorganized Church of Latter-day Saints. Well, now they changed their, their name, so now they're called the Community of Christ. So like this church where I knew there was one at, I go, oh, well, maybe another church bought them out and they're you know, dying out going away. No. They just changed their name, so now it's called the Fremont Community of Christ. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> so if you see Community of Christ, it could be a different version of LDS. Okay, said that right. <laughs> so now we're going to see, oh, the difference, too, is we're going to talk about cults. Cults, for the most part, as spoken of in this class, is about Christian cults. And so we have to know the difference between a Christian cult and a world religion. So there's a pamphlet on world religions. So if you want to get that, you can. So a world religion is Judaism, Islam, Hindu. So other things other than Christianity. These do not claim to be Christian, even though they're contrary to Christianity. But they're not a cult. They're a world religion. Whereas Word of Faith, Jehovah's Witness, Mormons claim to be Christian, but they're contrary to the teachings of Christianity. Question. It, it probably is because some of them claim, like Baha'i, claim to be oh, part of Christian. Right. So that would be an Eastern religion that claims to be like that. Uh, in fact, today, everyone gets one of these. To everyone, an answer. We'll eventually get that out. And also, I got a pile of goodies over there. Everybody's allowed to file through and get one thing. There's some videos. There's some books. So you can get one of those. Everybody gets one of these. You can get one of something over there. And then we have ten characteristics of a cult, which we're going to go into uh, right about now. And I'm just going to read through the table of contents, but this is uh, written by uh, Joy Vino, wife of Don Vino from 
Midwest Christian Outreach, which is a really cool group. And they have something called uh, Young Defenders Boot Camp, which is an apologetics course that they have every summer. And they also have adult version of that. And if you're interested, I have the information and times of when that's going on. But just going through the table of contents, 10 characteristics. It's almost like David Letterman. Okay. Uh, the big cheese is the first one. It means authoritative rule. Somebody in the church calls all the shots. Characteristic number two, false prophets and new light. Uh, there's prophetic speculation and shifting of truth. An example of that would be like, uh, I forgot her first name. It's Shamblin who started the weight down thing. She basically has now created her own church, and she used this weight-losing device that got into almost every church to say there is no trinity, there is, I mean, well, see, the book is probably not the problem. The book, it's the leadership thing that she trains her leaders to do these things, and now she started her own church and basically says nobody should be in any Christian church because they're all apostate, and it's now been realigned by her. So that's kind of interesting. Uh, we're the bad guys attacking the Christian church. Uh, most of the information... Oh, you don't have one? Okay. Uh, most cults, it's kind of interesting, they attack the Christian church and uh, they'll say, oh, Billy Graham's bad and, you know, other people are bad, but who's not bad is them. Anybody else need one of these? Thank you. Um, let's see. And it, and it goes through all, all through this. Uh, oh, Christian doctrine is unreasonable. Like talking with Oneness Pentecostals, one of the things they talk about is how, well, nobody can really understand the Trinity, but it's not about understanding the com all the complexities of the Trinity. It's about saying, is it in the Scripture? The answer is yes, because uh, we learned the idea that the Trinity raised Christ from the dead. And all I did was show Scripture. Father raised Jesus from the dead. Jesus raised Jesus from the dead. And the Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead. And there's more scriptures for that. And you have the pamphlet on the Trinity. A really good book. Jesus Only Churches. That would be good if you have to deal with that. I know. It's so good. Um, and then, going on to the next characteristic, is uh, twisting of the scriptures. In fact, i got a book called Scripture Twisting. And the basic ones that people people twist up, you know, for their own destruction. So that's an excellent book. It's by James W. Sire, 20 Ways the Cults Misread the Bible. And that's usually what happens is the cults aren't using a whole bunch of other books. They're using the Bible, and they don't know how to interpret it uh, and, and do good hermeneutics and study the Bible as it should be. Uh Oh, look out for work. Salvation by our own efforts. You know, one of the things I find very characteristic to a cult is how much time they spend in the book of James and wrongly twist that up. I mean, San Francisco Church of Christ, International Church of Christ, I mean, I don't think there's a time I haven't sit in with them that they're always on the book of James. And I'm just like, this is, this is nutty. I mean, there's more books in the Bible besides the book of James. And maybe that's why I got a little anti-James in me for books, but I read it and I just go, you know, I, I kind of go with Martin Luther and say it's the, the gospel or the, the epistle of straw kind of thing sometimes, but anyway, that was his strong opinion. 
It's in the Bible. Get over it, Luther. Anyway, uh, but again, the cults seem to fixate on the book of James and just go, look, the works. You need the works. You have no faith if you don't have works. And yet they forget the whole book of Romans. They forget everything else said in Scripture about salvation and that it's about believing Christ and not doing things. Again, salvation is about what Christ has done, not about what you do. Characteristic seven, don't tell me you're saved. <laughs> so you go up to somebody and go, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. And they, they, instead of saying, oh, I'm a Christian, they go, well, when were you baptized? You know, uh, when did you speak in tongues? I didn't know you belonged to our church. And there's different qualifications for what it means to be saved. And they'll tell you what they are. But they're going to say, you're not saved. So unlike the comment I had earlier about, well, I can't say somebody's not saved. The person that's obviously willing to do that as quick as anything is usually belonging to a cult. So like my oneness friends in the church are most likely to come into the Christian bookstore where I was at and tell everybody they were going to hell because they weren't baptized correctly. Christian bookstores are fun. You should scope out one for several hours and see how weird people are. Uh, oh, occult skeletons in the closet. This is kind of interesting revelations and things like that don't just come from God, but they come by putting your face into a hat with a seer stone, uh, like the Book of Mormon came. Uh, also, you have like Jehovah's Witness, who say they're anti-occultic, so that's why Michael Jackson in the Thriller video says he's against the occult because of his religious beliefs, because he was Jehovah's Witness at a time. And uh, But yet their founder is buried underneath a pyramid because he was into pyramidology, and it, it also, it's kind of interesting, his tombstone has a cross on it, which they say they never believed. Uh, so so they have all these occultic symbols. Uh, also, there's a lot of masonry kinds of symbols in the Mormon church. If you go see the one in uh, Utah, like everything's like in 13s and weird cultic number symbols and pentagrams and stuff like that. Question. Okay. <laughs> yeah, they're still confused. I mean, that's that's like a, a eclectic salad bar kind of thing. I mean, they've just taken everything and and put it into you know a, a fraternity, so to speak. But yet, the ones that belong to it most are, are Mormons because it's just all the secrets and you know there's blood oaths and rituals and. I had I had a youth pastor who used to do like maintenance and cleaning, and he did one in a Masonic lodge one time, and he said he was tripped out by all the little trap doors and <laughs> pillars and things that they had in there. No, you cannot see in. And 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 to me the the most disheartening thing about that is Christians taking oaths of secrecy because they're I mean you'll see their cars with the the different little emblems of what stage they're at. I forget how many degrees there are. And then they're all in the Christian, you know, church parking lot. And it's like, Argh. but there's some good books about masonry and the the bad stuff on that. There you go. Characteristic number nine. We're united. Uh, distorted sense of unity. It just basically says, hey, we're all on the same page. Uh, Christian science, they all read from the same book at the same place at the same time worldwide. So they say, see, we're unified. That's what the body's supposed to be like. And they quote Ephesians chapter 4 on that. Uh, 
uh, San Francisco Church of Christ does the same thing. Say, look at, at all the colors in our church, you know. How can we be divided? We have to be right because look at, we, we have the whole, everybody from the world and we're around the world. So we're uniting people under the banner of Christ. But it's actually under the banner of Kip McKeon. Uh, characteristic number uh, 10, no exit. This is the most tragic one of all of these. And all the details are in this book. It's a really awesome book. Again, something else you can keep in your purse or your glove compartment and just be ready to read up. But the no exit says there is no other place for you to go. Uh, when you bring the truth of the gospel to people who have been deceived, this is the scariest part because you have these people, they now know the truth, but they can't do anything with it. Why? Because they've been told that if they step away from their group or their organization, there's nothing to go to. It's kind of like, well, you can only go so far on sailing on the ocean before you fall off the edge of the world. There's only so far you can go away from the mother church, which we've established and which we told you what it is. And it's like a very weird survivor Gilligan Island kind of thing. They'll never be rescued. They'll never be saved. And even if you do, you'll just be eaten up and there's nothing to go to. And so in the same way, they basically say, our church, this is the only place of salvation. If you go anywhere else, you just go to hell. Or you go to non-existence because some people don't believe in hell. But you have this strong force that keeps them because they are warned over and over again there is no place other than their church, their organization, their cult to be saved. So they don't want to go to a Methodist church. They don't want to go to a Catholic church. They don't want to go to anything else because they've basically been told the devil lives there. Uh, so another aspect of we have world religions, we have cults and that claim to be Christian but are off base on the essentials in various ways or forms, and there's ten characteristics. And then you have churches which are orthodox, and they have their good statement of faith when you go to visit them and everything, but then they have cultic tendencies. And what that means is these ten characteristics, they might be leaning to that. You might have a church which is good, but the pastor is a little bit strong-armed, and he kind of kind of rules over everybody, but it's not a cult. It just has cultic tendencies. Or like in my experience, going to some of the God church, it's not bad to be charismatic or Pentecostal, but then you have some people who are in the cultic tendencies because they listen to Benny Hinn or Joyce Myers or somebody else like that, and they're bringing that experience into their church setting and being out of control in spiritual gifts. Okay, to say all that, we're going to see some clippage. We're going to have a lot of clippage. Uh, I think I know I took it somewhere. Oh, there it is. And we're going to see several things, and hopefully, from the verses that we've already read, uh, we'll see some of the violations of listening to angels and all that kind of stuff, and uh, just the weirdness that goes on. So basically, did I take the remote too? Oh, here it is. Sorry. So what is the big deal? Why, why do we have to even worry about cults? One of the things we have to do, we have to name names. Sometimes it's not necessary. Also, you have to be careful of liability, especially taking people's materials and, and showing where they're bad because it'll be a bad thing. You'll, you'll end up in court. Uh, sorting it out. Well, why don't we let God sort it out? Because he's the judge and all that kind of thing. But yet we're, we want to have... Uh, 
give an answer for what we we believe in. We want to tell people about the truth. So the truth is going to sort things out. We're just going to say, here's what the Bible says. We have to continually point to Scripture. And then people say, well, you're bringing division. You're not about unity. And, and this is one of the, you know, the whipping posts of doing apologetics. Oh, you're just bringing division. You have a spirit of division. You, know? you have the spirit of intellectualism. And we have unity. The Spirit's working through us. The Spirit's working through us. But ultimately, here's what happens. Death comes. And I'll explain what that means after we've seen a few clips. Uh, is that chapter 6? I just had to write it out. Yeah, that's good. Right there. Oops, sorry. So if you remember, he has a calling from God to kill demons, but the boy is concerned that they're going to kill people. Now we're going to the next one. He's having issues. 
frailty. Yeah. And if I could have the remote, because there's places. That, that was being led by Kenneth Copeland. This is a. They laugh and this is Rodney Howard Brown, the Holy Ghost bartender, and he's telling jokes to Kenneth Copeland in tongues, in dueling tongues. Yeah, that's the problem. Heresy flag. Uh, I forgot his name, but it's from pawcreek.org. Let's see. All kinds of phenomena. Well, but the same thing is going on in other places, as you'll see as we move along. Let's take a look at that video. This is Toronto. I don't know why I do that, I, um, but just, I just know that um, God is, is a personal God. 
but he's not just a big god out there. He's personally interested in me. The Vineyard Fellowship is a loose collection of hundreds of evangelical churches scattered across North America. But in 1994, the claim that the Holy Spirit was appearing at a Vineyard meeting near Toronto Airport brought thousands of Christians here looking for dramatic physical evidence of the presence of God. How many are here from the United States someplace? Stand up and wave your hand. You know, it has to be God to get Americans to come to Toronto in January. The founder of the Toronto Vineyard Fellowship is Pastor John Arnott. There's many um, things that God is doing around the world that, you know, didn't have its beginnings here. But because it spread so rapidly from here, um, the people coming in from all over the world, uh, they, they're sort of saying, well, for them, it happened in Toronto. The Toronto Vineyard Fellowship has humble origins. On January 20th, 1994, Pastor Arnott was leading a small group of believers in prayers for a sign from God. We were surprised by what happened because the, the Holy Spirit came in, in, in great power and just floored everybody, literally, you know, it was just people all over the floor and these people were laughing or crying or responding, positively responding to what God was doing in their life. It's what we would describe as an outpouring of the Holy Spirit as he would come and touch the lives of people and impact them in various ways, but usually powerful ways. In the last year, Pastor Arnold's gatherings have drawn nearly 200,000 visitors, many of whom are convinced the Holy Spirit is moving amongst them. But being shaken by the Holy Spirit is not a new idea, and was not seen for the first time at the Toronto Vineyard. Flamboyant TV evangelists like Benny Hinn have gained worldwide fame for revival meetings were remarkable, and even bizarre things can happen. He's a personal friend of mine. I've known him for over 20 years when his ministry first started out, also in this city. Um, and so he's he's affected my life in terms of the, the way that he's greatly used uh, along the lines of physical healing. You know, that's kind of his strength there. But to say they impacted the vineyard as a movement... Um, I don't think so. I, I would doubt that. Is it possible that a lot of people who cry and scream and laugh are doing it because they've seen other people do it and think that that's the way to behave? We're not dealing with some sort of a fringe movement here, the fringe of the charismatic movement, but we're talking about major leaders from every main denomination have been touched and impacted, and many of them have endorsed it and experienced it for themselves. But surely when you're up on stage and you look down, you must see some people who are faking it or... I really don't. No, I really don't. I'm, I'm sure that we can say it does go on at a very minimal level. But I'm very content that it's a, it's a very minimal level. One of the most startling manifestations of the Toronto Blessing has become known as Holy Laughter. 
members of Pastor Arnoff's ministry team pray with visitors to the vineyard, who then, for no apparent reason, burst into fits of uncontrollable laughter. firmly believe this laughter is caused by each person being filled with the Holy Spirit. But there are those who do not believe that what happens at the Toronto Vineyard is a direct sign of God's hand. Now, I think you can see very... Okay, we're going to go some more. Uh, look for the dog leash on the next one coming up. <laughs> Da 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 da. <laughs> I have my ways. Oh well, this is Brownsville again. Well, there's one video that has some things like this on there over there on the table. I'm gonna fast forward through this because we've seen this kind of stuff before, but we got another clip from that this place. Yeah, the little kids are out of control in here. Come on, fast forward, fast forward. You know, it's basically, you, you have uh, Toronto, you have um, Brownsville, and then there's all these other places that are stepping up and doing the same kind of thing. But, like, this one with the dog leash that we're getting to, that one's the most outrageous. What's interesting, too, is um, there's a man here in the Bay Area who is in India. Uh-huh. Um, Right. And they do the same stuff. Over oh, yeah. They'll, they'll laugh for hours. They'll go numb. They'll convulse. They'll speak in tongues, you know. And, and right. So tongues is not exclusive to Christianity, right. but the exclusivity is from being filled with the Holy Spirit. That's how I should remember the name. Right. Okay. Well, see, that's the part that's hard to decide because, again, when I grew up in Pentecostalism, Somebody acted like that. We took him in another room, cast the devil out of him. We didn't leave him on stage and, you know, uh, display them and go, everybody follow, do likewise. Well, and then these people are claiming to be Christian. So now here at Brownsville, they're recreating the altar of incense, which is kind of interesting. Okay. So he, he, he gets on that. Uh, the only thing about this particular person, he kind of obsesses on small details rather than the bigger stuff. So I haven't seen all of his videos. Oh, here we go. Wait a minute. This is uh, the vineyard. In my opinion, be done in private, but evidently God doesn't do it that way. We've tried to accommodate it here. We've carried people out of the room. We've taken them into other places. We've, we've had teams assigned to do that. But the Lord just keeps inundating us with so many. So here's where people are on all four barking. And one's mooing. I went to one place where people, this lady got on all fours and ran around the sanctuary. And oinked like a pig. Wait 
don't leave us to our foolish thinking. Lord, we want all that you have, all, yes. all that you have. Yes. And Lord, if it blows our little minds, let them be blown. Father, we want all of what you have, all of what you have. We thank you. Got a leash on him. I don't know, but there's a dog leash on him. And there's a couple other ones. Yeah. And that's a good scripture to quote. <laughs> but that's one of the things that's missing here is scripture. All these people talking, they've not said one scripture. And the Lord said to me, will you howl for me? I said, don't ask me to do that, Lord. He said, if I ask you, will you do it? He said, if I can't ask you to do something in your own house, how are you going to do it out there? So... Okay, put in the next one. So here's more of Brownsville, and you'll see why they, like, Toronto does barking and howling kind of thing and laughing. Brownsville is notorious for the fits of, of they just look like seizures. And uh, we're going to finish the, this Brownsville tape. Uh, in Pensacola, Florida. Uh, there has been, and that's one of the concerns. Like, you'll see this lady. She claims she's healed. It, it'll play. And, and she claims she's healed. I want to say something this morning to Hank Hanegraaff. But what she's doing to herself is more damage. Hank Hanegraaff. And this is to us as well. You may feel like that you can put on the badge of heaven and put on your white cap and saddle up on your big horse and ride to the kingdom of God straighten everybody out. But I don't know who calls you to be the high sheriff of heaven and go around straightening everybody out. I don't know who did that, but I'm going to tell you one thing. You may criticize other people and other moves of God and other ministries, but you better leave your hands off of this one. Better leave your hands off of this one. We're walking humbly before God. We're praying. Our lives are in order. Our finances are in order. Our families are in order. We're not in adultery, and we're not in deception. We're only trying to manage and pastor a move of God. And Mr. Hanegraaff, I want to say to you, before you get back on national television and start spouting off at the mouth again about something of which you know nothing of, you better be careful because God said, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. The Bible Answer Man at 3 p.m. on KFAX, 11 a.m. 1100. This sounds familiar, doesn't it? <laughs> what I said last week. 
are not hurt. I feel as normal today as I've ever felt. I don't have a chip on my shoulder. I don't have an axe to grind. But this is a move of God, and you better leave it alone. The 90 days came and went, and he apologized the week before. He was. The prophecy gets even better now for people who speak against Brownsville. If you don't want your head to do like this, you better leave your mouth off of her. I know this girl. She's a godly girl. She's a school teacher. And she lives a godly life. Wait a minute. Stand up here. Listen. Tell them what God did to your neck. He healed me of a neck and back injury from a car accident. She had a neck and a back injury from a car accident and couldn't move. And God has given her a sign. Every service, you can't do this if you had a neck and a back injury. But when the Lord set her free, He's given an example to everybody that He's a healer. And friend, let me tell you something. Listen. The Holy Ghost laps. <laughs> what happened? Why why do you shake like that? I think it started as confirmation of my healing. I didn't have full range of motion and I had a lot of pain and my neck would have never been able to see this before it was healed. Mr. Hanegraaff, I want to say something to you. Better walk a mile in another man's moccasins before you make a judgment on him. He's keeping in with his western theme. <laughs> I want to say something else. Am I ashamed? that I've got a woman in my choir that shakes like she's got palsy? No. Every time I look up there, it's going to be a reminder, I am the Lord thy God that he is thee. Okay, this one's going to go in, but before I'm going to make some comments. This is a movie that was on TV, written from a, uh, taken from a book called We Let Our Son Die. It's the true story of Larry and Alice, a.k.a. Lucky Parker, who uh, their son had diabetes and they stopped insulin on him because they believed he was healed. And we won't show the death scene because that's, that's enough, but we'll, we'll see some of it in which you see what they start to believe in order to keep on claiming this healing. And that's why I said in what's the big deal is eventually people are going to make life decisions based upon these false doctrines, these false teachings, these cultics, uh, persuasions where they go to a healing service. You know, Benny says you're healed. Creflo Dollar says you're healed. 
you believe you're healed, and then they start saying, well, these are symptoms from Satan if you're not healed, or it's your faith that you're not healed, and all these other kinds of things. And again, what we've already seen is they continue to say things contrary to the nature of God. So again, it's not about, well, I don't know everything the Jehovah's Witness believes. I don't know everything Benny Hinn believes. You don't have to know what they believe. What you have to know is, what does the Bible teach? And clearly in here, these poor people, they lose their son because they believe uh, faith to an ultimate end that brings death. And one of the things that I have my own personal story as well is, because I'm a diabetic and I have the same issues, so I've been through a lot of healing lines. Uh, my mom almost died because of Benny Hand, because she had a, a colon polyp kind of thing, and she refused to go to the doctor because the people who were into Benny Hand kept telling her. And my mom had been miraculously healed before from something else, but it was verified by the doctors. So she wouldn't go to the doctor. She wouldn't go. And I go, look, Mom, it's not about not believing in healing because you've been healed before. But you have to also go to the doctor and let them see what needs to be healed, let alone just say something. And so finally she went and they did the scoping and all the things that's involved with that. And they removed the polyp. And they told her if you had let it go another week or more, it would have been cancer and gone through your whole body. So... Uh, you know, and we have a little history of that in my family. But the point being is, if she would have continued to listen to the people who listened to Benny Hinn, she probably would be dead from cancer. So again, and likewise, this was 1976 or 78, and so it's kind of dated. And I recorded this off of TV like in 88. So, sure. Oh, division versus unity. Like, so uh, we had the Brownsville pastor saying, you know, you're bringing division. We're in unity here. And, you know, you're, you're dividing things that don't need to be divided. And so like that, people accuse anybody doing apologetics when the, right, you know, it's a whole bunch of name calling. And basically they're saying, we're all together here. You're the only one who's against, you know, uh, the emperor has no clothes. Well, he, he's actually sat there in the services there before, and you know, and people bring the tapes, so yeah, he's going to hear it. But I mean, just like in old-fashioned Jimmy Swagger, Jimmy Swagger would talk to the TV and say, "You whores and prostitutes," you know, and this kind of thing, or he'd say, "You know, Motley Crue," and he'll name band names. <laughs> I'm like, I'm sure they're up on Sunday morning watching you, but okay, are we ready to go? I think so. Okay, push. Where's the play? I would get confused. No, that's TV. There we go. Assemblies of God in in uh, the valley. I think it was Modesto or Fresno. No, these are actors. Oh yeah. He has to have his insulin. He'll get sick. The scriptures promise healing. God has to stand on his word. I can't sleep. I gotta think. Right. I know you are. Mary?
He's ten. That's very bad in diabetic sure, terms. goes through episodes. He's going to the bathroom a lot. She's going to go to another church and testify that he's healed. And he's getting sicker and sicker. This is a pastor of another church. The father's not a pastor. He's a guy who's down on his luck and uh, another back at another breakfast time. So the mom's going to a prayer meeting, and they're going to pray for her. Oh, wait. i got to back it up. you got to hear some of these phrases in this prayer meeting. It's very interesting. This is a true story, and the book is called We Let Our Son Die. And then the movie that was on TV is uh, Promised a Miracle. I need your help. Murder. They were charged with murder and went to prison for a while. We've been fasting and praying around the clock. But we've had our moments of doubt. Oh, lucky I wouldn't throw doubt in the face of God's miracle. In a way, it's a blasphemy. It is blasphemy. Uh, let's get some prayer power working. Uh, lucky you come sit in the center. <clears throat> I will lay hands on you. <laughs> Lord, we thank you for Wesley's healing. We so they they work up their prayer magic. He's sick and getting worse, and now she's at the prayer meeting. I'll be right there. Bye bye. We have to believe, Larry. <laughs> What's wrong? It's Wesley. He's got a bad headache, and Larry wants to give him insulin. Just because of a headache? Yes, and I know how he feels. 
but I also know in my heart that we must let God complete this healing. Is there anything we can do? One last video, and that's it. Uh, so, this is why death can come if apologetics is not done, because all somebody needs to stand up. Their own pastor tried to tell them, go to the doctor, and they refused because they had a prayer meeting, and he seemed to be better at the house. And then uh, he had, he went back to being really sick again, and then they thought he had a demon, so they tried to cast demons out of him, and they had the prayer circle, and then he died. And then they figured he's going to have a greater purpose is he's going to be like Lazarus and be raised from the dead. So they had a resurrection service, and basically that's when they were arrested and brought to a trial for murder. Uh, more revival stuff. These are bad books. <laughs> the Rising Revival. Uh, we have Carlos Anacondia, uh, Ed Savoso. I could tell you more about them. Ed Savoso came to one church and gave a testimony about a prison being turned to revival. But then at this, another church, he's told the same story, but talked about midget demons manifesting and breaking the kneecaps on pastors who dared to try to go into the prison that weren't spirit-filled. <laughs> so I could tell you about that. You have the God Chasers by Tommy Tenney, who believes he was ordered by God to talk about that anointing is casual. What you need to do, you need to have glory. So now there's a new word on the frontier of revivals. It's called glory. So anointing is now the lesser phrase, and glory is becoming the new phrase. Tommy Tenney is a oneness Pentecostal, 
and uh, but yet he's transcending the the barriers of that and getting everybody to buy his books. This is an interesting book. This is why Jesus came back in 1995, according to the Tabernacle. So there's all kinds of heretical things you can find in bookstores. Uh, Derek Prince, Blessing or Curses, talks about how you can speak into your life, the curses and blessings, so kind of what they were believing on here. They were believing, believing, believing. And uh, this is all about generational curses and things like that and why you can be destroyed by your own words. Principalities and Powers. This is a church that my friend Scott, who comes with me sometimes for regeneration, this is the pastor that used to pastor him, where they believed in the Jezebel spirit and they had to take their Bibles and cut off the tentacles of her. And this explains how to do all that and way into deliverance. And they used to put people in diapers on stage for those who had sinned and beat them with rods. So that's why my friend Scott has some issues sometimes with church. Uh, Porthole in Pensacola. This lady, she got a divine revelation in the Kansas City airport. And she was slain in the spirit. And God said to her over and over again, Azusa, Pensacola. She didn't know where it was. She found out what was going on. And then that's when the revival happened. And she's way into looking for demons and spirits and all kinds of stuff. But she became the reporter for Pensacola. And then I have this book on hypnosis. Basically, if you take this book and where it says hypnotist, you put in Benny Hinn's name. That's exactly how it works. So if you want to know how slain in the spirit and other stuff, for the most part, it's hypnosis or the peer pressure like we saw in some of the videos. People saying they say something right after the pastor or whoever's talking to them says, oh, it's because of this. And, oh, yeah, that confirms my healing. You know, this happened to confirm my healing. Huh. Question? Power suggestion is correct. Okay, so who are we really fighting? If you go to 2 Corinthians 11, uh, 13 through 15, and 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5, uh, it's about spiritual warfare. This is about things uh, in uh, 1 Corinthians 11, 13 through 15. It says, they pose as ministers of light, and Satan comes as an angel of light to deceive. In 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5, it says, for the weapons of warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God, to the pulling down of strongholds of everything that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, we take captive to the mind of Christ and make it obedient. So all these things that are happening, all these things people are suggesting, how are they obedient to Christ? How are they uh, complying to the gospel? And then, of course, classic Ephesians 6, 10 through 25 you know, this, the things that we're talking about in apologetics or what we do apologetics about, it's not about the Jehovah's Witness. It's about the spirit of Antichrist behind it. It's not about the Mormons. It's the spirit of error behind it. It's not about Benny Hinn. It's the spirit of deception that's behind it. And so when you read through Ephesians, it says we need to pray. We need to put on the whole armor, which is spiritual. And part of putting that armor on is knowing the Word of God and constantly being in the Word of God. Do we ever win arguments? According to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1-9, through 9, it's not about winning arguments. It's about defending the faith. It's about proclaiming the church. And then you can read verses 4 through 9, uh, 14 through 19 and 23-26 uh, on the same chapter. It says, we're soldiers under God's command, and we fight the good fight. And, and it's about presenting the Word of God and not getting involved in disputable arguments and stuff like that. In fact, I'll read the, the last part of Second Timothy, which is uh, where we're going to close at pretty soon here. Uh, Second Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 9, then 14 through 19. 
and then 22 through 26, uh, which says, I can find it here. Now uh, flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the name of the Lord from a pure heart. But refuse foolish and ignorant speculations or arguments, knowing that they produce quarrels. And the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, uh, uh, to teach patient when wrong, with gentleness, uh, correction, uh, my tongue is tied, with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition. If perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading them to the knowledge of the truth. And they may come to uh, their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having uh, been held captive to him to do his will. So, so again, it's about we, in doing apologetics, it's not about, oh, I'm going to get them. Now i got all the information. I'm going to tear down Mormons. I'm going to tear down Jehovah's Witness. They're people in deception. And they've been ensnared by the devil for various ways or means. So, which leads me to the last part. What is the greatest apologetics? One of uh, my mentors, Dr. Jerry Buckner, he says, you can have all the theology, you can have all this knowledge about cults and whatever, but the greatest ology is loveology. Okay? And kind of Dave Hunt stole my thunder from what he said on Sunday, is he talked from 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 21, and saying, this is how they'll know you're my disciples, that you love one another. And that we can't say we're brothers and sisters in Christ and hate one another. And especially when it comes to somebody who says they're Christian, but they're in deception. We should love them even more so to help them get away from that spirit of deception. To give them the truth of what real love does. Um, I mean, it's it just one of the greatest things for my apologetics has not been knowing all the answers. But it's just being there when somebody needs prayer. It's being there when somebody uh, needs to be loved, you know. Because eventually we all go through that point in our lives where things will be hard, things will be difficult. And if you're the most consistent person with love, and, you're, and even though they hate God, they still might be willing to come and ask, Hey, can you pray for me? You know, and they'll even say, Well, I used to believe this way about you and stuff like that, but... I know you're not trying to convert me. You just want me to know the truth. Uh, so again, it's about helping people to know the truth and make, let them make their decisions. Um, but again, definitely loving people is one of the greatest apologetics to all, all believers. And especially as it says in, in John, 2 Peter 3.18, uh, grow in the grace and the knowledge. I think uh, there's a lot of organizations that have knowledge, but they don't have grace. Or they have grace, but they lack knowledge. And uh, again, it's both, so that we can serve our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Um, I had so many things. Uh, the last battle, going back to why it's important to do apologetics, uh, there's this portion in here where there's uh, a donkey that's dressed itself as Aslan the lion, and he deceives, and then he's shown to be a deceiver. But then the people that have been caught up in the deception, they're now afraid of going to the real truth. 